man, I, I don't know about you, but that song, I'm familiar with it. It's a, it's a classic hymn, but that's a different version of this classic hymn. And so I recognized the words, and it was like kind of dissonant throughout it, but I was aching for it to get to that chorus. I think some of you were too, because what happened? We just stood up. It was powerful. It was this moment, was it not? I mean, some might call that a holy moment. Why'd you stand up? What, what was that? And even if you guys didn't experience a powerful moment in that song, maybe you did at looking at some of the images that they were playing earlier of these amazing creations in nature. But even if you didn't experience any of that this morning, you know what I'm talking about. All of you at some point in your life have experienced a powerful moment, the kind of moment that kind of clenches your throat and the, the hairs on your arms rise. Maybe it's so intense and powerful that you just want to fall to your knees. Do we have those moments very often? Do you guys ever look at your life and think, is this it? Am I missing out on something? I, um, I just learned recently that there's an acronym for this, FOMO. That's what the kids are saying. Uh, fear of missing out. And you know, ever since I heard about this acronym, I'm like, you know, I am legitimately experiencing some FOMO today. I am. I mean, am I the only one, or do you guys know what I'm talking about? Thank you. You see other people doing other things that seem amazing. And you're like, well, where's the amazing in my life? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that today. My name's Sally Townsend, like Dave said, and I wear a couple different hats here at K2. Um, one of the hats I do not typically wear is giving messages. <laughs> Welcome. Um, but I stand before you today and I'm giving a message. And I don't want to be here, if I'm being honest. I, I didn't want to do this today. But I was asked a couple of months ago if I'd be willing to give a message here at church. And, um, and I was told that I could speak on anything anything that I was learning about God, anything I'd seen in scripture. And that was really encouraging that they're like, hey, we believe in you, go speak. But it was mostly terrifying because I don't speak. This is like not what I, this is not my gig. And, um, but I decided that I would prayerfully consider it. And so when I was praying with God about it, I was like, God, do you want me to speak? And much to my dismay, he's like, yeah, you should do that. Like, okay. All right, well, what do you want me to speak on? Because I'm not going to speak unless you tell me what to speak on. <laughs> and do you know what the only thing he told me to speak on? The only thing I heard from him was reverence. Insert huge eye roll here. Because I'm thinking, God, reverence, like, I am not your girl. I am not the girl to be speaking on reverence. I don't know about reverence. It feels weighty. It feels churchy. Feels like if you speak on reverence, you should have like a degree in divinitary theology. Like, I don't even know what those degrees entail, but I don't have one, and I don't feel like that's a good topic for me to speak on. Reverence. Okay. So, the first thing, like, 
I had to even think of like, how, like what is even my idea of reverence? But I will tell you before we get into this, in this process, God has really been teaching me a whole new picture of reverence that I had never had previously. And my prayer and hope for us today is that we will walk away with a bigger picture of reverence as well. Before we dive in, would you guys please pray with me? Father God, we just come before you. This is your time, your place, your people. God, you are so vast and beyond comprehension in so many ways, but you are so gracious and continuously wanting to teach us more about you, God. God, help us not miss you today. If there are any barriers in our hearts or heads where we might not hear you, please remove those. God, if there are any ways that we've thought of you incorrectly, please bring those to light. God, we commit this time and place to you and we just ask for your spirit to move in this place and in our hearts. May we grow to know you more this morning. It's in your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Okay, guys, so reverence. I had to think, all right, so I'm speaking on reverence. What do I think reverence is? And so I realized that predominantly my idea of reverence has been tied up in my childhood experience in church. I grew up in this really small rural town in Indiana and consistently attended a very conservative Methodist church. I mean, we had the stained glass windows and the pews and the pastor and the robe preaching from the pulpit and sung out of hymnals. I mean, the whole nine yards. And my idea of reverence really was tied up in how you behave in that type of setting, that to, to respect the setting and you know, to be quiet and you know, honoring of that setting. And there are a lot of definitions of reverence, um, but let me just bullet point a few for you. It can mean to stand in awe of, Loyalty, devotion, respect, honor, love, worship. In scripture, the, one of the root words of reverence can literally mean to bow or fall down, to have humility towards, and be in fear of. Okay, so then I had to ask myself, when have I actually fallen down to my knees in awe of and reverence of God? Well, I actually, I could think of a time, and some of you might be a little bit familiar with my story, but seven years ago, I felt like God was calling me to engage in the lives of HIV AIDS orphans over in Africa. And I'd never been there before, and my husband and I were prayerfully considering um, whether or not I should travel there. And the cost for me to travel there, it was almost $3,000. And so we were really kind of examining this financial investment for me to travel over to Swaziland and, and asking ourselves the question, is it a better investment for these kids to just send it over there, to send it to the ministry to these kids in need? Or should I go and by faith really just hope that God multiplies that investment? Well, ultimately I decided to go. I was really hoping when I got over there, God would give me a very clear, clear cut plan on what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to like help these kids. But the only thing he told me to do when I was over there was to come back home and to tell my family, my biological family, my church family. That felt pretty anticlimactic, but I did. And a few weeks turned into a couple of months and I had told a lot of people about what I experienced in Swaziland, what I saw, but nothing was happening. And I really began to doubt that I had heard God. 
And I really began to question, oh no, did I make a bad investment? Was that, was, was that not a good investment? Was that not the biggest impact that could be had for those kids? God, like, are you even here in this? Am I alone? And then one day, completely unexpectedly, I got a call from a very dear friend, and she said, hey, Sal, we've had a few conversations about your time in Swaziland. It was really cool what you shared with me, and God has been relentless in telling me that I need to engage. I want to give $25,000 to the ministry efforts there. <laughs> Guys, in that moment, I fell to my knees, tears immediately started streaming down my face. I'm still trying to be on the phone with this friend because in that moment, God revealed his glory that I had not heard him incorrectly, that he was so much bigger than my eyes could see or that I could even imagine, that he was faithful, that he was in it, and he was multiplying in ways that I couldn't even fathom. It was amazing. You know what, though? That was the only time I can think of to date that I've actually hit my knees and wept out of awe of his glory. Why? Why, why is that the only time in my life I've experienced that? I've had some cool moments with God, don't get me wrong, but that was the only time that type of reverence happened with me. And so then I contrast that reverence, like the drop to your knees, awe-inspiring reverence of how majestic God is with my historical idea of reverence, which was when you're in church, you need to be good and you need to be quiet and you need to be respectful of what's happening right here. And so God started to show me that I might have been missing the mark my whole life on what the full picture of reverence is. So what does reverence look like to you guys? Like, what do, you, what do you think of when you hear the word reverence? Do you, do you think of some of these, like, nature images? Like, when you're in nature and you're just in awe of it? Or do you think of, like, walking into a cathedral in Europe and you're just like, oh, wow. I mean, is it, is it when you're praying around the dinner table and your dad's like, be quiet? <laughs> what is it? One of the things I thought about was the American flag. My family and I were up in Park City over the 4th of July, and there were tons of people and lots of energy, and everyone was rambunctious and loud and talking before the parade began. And the parade began with the American flag being carried down Main Street. So guess what happened when the American flag came into view? Quiet. We all stood up and put our hand over our heart and looked at that flag. And, and in that moment, I was looking at that flag and I was, I was thinking about what it symbolized and what it stood for, the freedoms that I'm enjoying because of all the men and women who have selflessly served our company or country. It was, it was a moment. It was memorable. But then on the way home, I realized, you know, I see American flags all the time when I'm driving around in front of my kid's school. But I don't, I don't typically look at it and have this moment and think of what it symbolizes. Why is that? Another good example of me missing moments is my daughter and I, my 10-year-old daughter and I took a trip to New York City recently, and she is a talented and aspiring artist. And one of the activities that we decided to do was to go through all of the great museums in New York City. I mean, goodness, they've got everything. They've got the Museum of Natural History and Museum of Modern Art and the Guggenheim and those Museums are 
full of amazing artifacts, just these real-life treasures that have completely affected and created our culture. But you know, walking around those museums, the majority of the time, if I'm being honest, I was completely hunched over, just like thinking about how bad my feet hurt and why did I wear these shoes and where is the nearest bathroom? <laughs> That's like all I could think about. Do you know how much I missed? I mean, I was in the British Museum one time with my husband and I missed the Rosetta Stone, completely walked by it, had no idea it was there. It's amazing what I missed, because I was self-focused and hunched over. But you know, my artist daughter, she and I knew that somewhere buried in those museums was Van Gogh's Starry Night and Monet's Water Lilies. So what do you think, what do you think our reaction was once we got to the like, painting exhibition? We were up. We were, our eyes were up and focused, and we were just like waiting, aware of that there were these painting treasures there, and we couldn't wait to find them. So we're walking around straight, and I will never forget, we're turning this corner. My daughter's walking in front of me. And she walks around the corner, and she just stops. And there, two feet in front of her face, was Van Gogh's starry night. What do you think her reaction was? It was amazing, right? We didn't miss that one, because we were aware of it. And she didn't miss that moment. She was in awe of it face to face with greatness, with treasure. It was incredible. So those examples actually are, are examples of what a life with reverence, being in awe of something, and a life without reverence can look like. Because a life without resonance is actually just disregard. It's, it's walking around just like completely self-focused on your aches and pains. And I mean, does this look healthy? Does this look really comfortable? Like it's sustainable or should be sustained? Do I look like I have like this, like I'm ready to go sprinting? No, no, like I'm... I'm all hunched over, my, my range of motion is limited. So just for a second, just for a second, let's think about our spirituality in terms of the skeletal system. Okay, so if there are any chiropractors here, please just give me grace because I don't know the proper terminology, but skeletal system, okay? I've been learning the importance of spiritual posture, posture and spiritual posture is straight alignment with God, okay? And so if we have a vertebrae out of place, what happens? Like we're not straight and, and we bend over and it hurts and you're, you're thinking about that hurt. And if we have a vertebrae out of place and we're all hunched over, like what are we thinking about? We're thinking about that and it hurts and we, we cannot do what we were made to do because we are completely limited and we're focused on that. In contrast, if we are focused on God, if our spines are straight and pointed towards him, we have a full range of motion, able to experience life in the full as he designed it for us. And so do you feel like you guys are living out the full life? Or do you feel like you're limited? So what does reverence look like to you guys in regards to God? I mean, how do you think of him? How do you approach him? Are, are you aware of his presence? Are your eyes looking up? 
aware of the treasure around you? Or are you disregarding him and missing it? Because if we are focused on God, that is reverence. If we are self-focused, the consequence of that is that we will miss out on the fullness of life that God has for us. In the spiritual sense, reverence is kneeling before God, okay? Let me say that again. Reverence is kneeling before God. Are we doing that? I mean, do you consistently feel like you're experiencing these awe-inducing moments? And how much of the world are we missing out on because we're self-focused instead of God-focused? And where are we missing the mark on reverence? I mean, one of the things that we need to realize today about reverence is that it goes beyond gratitude. If we're gonna boil it down, gratitude is actually being conscious of our blessings, but reverence is being conscious of the source of those blessings. You see, reverence is the spiritual side of respect. It is unspoiled. It's an attitude of dependence and humility. And without it, God is completely pushed aside. And I don't know about you, but I would so much rather go through life having these moments than ho-humming around, just mad about the shoes I wore. Reverence is actually the key to not missing out on the treasures around us. And reverence is a key to spiritual alignment. So what does God say about reverence? We're gonna look at the Old Testament first. And it says here in Leviticus 26.2, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary for I am Lord. Okay, like totally makes sense. Obey the laws that I have told you about. Have reverence for my sanctuary. I'm God. Psalm 5.7, but I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence. I bow down toward your holy temple. See, both of these are talking about reverence as respecting and honoring a holy place. I mean, God is powerful and he is mighty and he is holy and he should be feared and honored. Daniel 6.26, this is after Daniel came out of the lion's den unscathed. The king of Babylon, who originally threw him in there, says, everyone must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Well, yeah, I mean, This guy got thrown in there and then he comes out unscathed. Whoever he worships, we need to worship too because that God is mighty reverence. And so see, in all these passages, reverence is talking about obedience, respect, proper behavior towards God, towards his temple, towards his laws. But when Jesus hits the scene, our scope of what reverence looks like actually is greatly expanded. You see, the Old Testament It established the principles of reverence, which were so important to honor and revere, have fear of, bow down before worship an almighty God. But when we look at what reverence is in the New Testament, it brings it into a whole new light. Why? Because of Jesus and his time here on the earth. What did Jesus do while he was here on the earth? He was fully focused on God all the time. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus had a constant posture of reverence, being in obedience before God, kneeling before him every second of every day in a spiritual posture. 
So the New Testament, Colossians 3.22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Okay, I know the first time I read this, I was like, hold up. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And that's reverencing the Lord? Okay, First Peter 3. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by their behavior and their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now, just to be fair, it goes on to say the husbands need to do the same for the wives. But wives, submit yourself to your husbands and that that's reverence to God? In Ephesians 5.21, it just flat out says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so now as we're looking in the New Testament, we're seeing the word reverence in conjunction with words like submit and obey, not just to God, who is holy and deserving, but to one another. That reverence is submitting to broken, sinful, imperfect man. Now, that is humility. I mean, we often hear, humble yourself before the Lord. But what we're seeing is that true reverence also means humbling ourselves before one another. See, a life full of reverence is anchored in obedience and reverence towards God. And Jesus was our perfect example of how to live that out. When we struggle with respect and compassion, not just towards God, but towards other people, we're not showing reverence. And our hearts are not aligned with God the Father. So we're seeing these like two different slices of reverence in the Old and the New Testament. And the cool thing is we actually get to see where these different understandings of reverence start to mix together. And that's when Jesus is on earth. And if we look at the time when Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, it's so interesting. You can read about this in Matthew 23, but so the Pharisees, who were they? They were these very holy people who were very reverent, right? They had the laws down and they, you know, they were the clean ones that were allowed to go into the temple. They knew what the ceremonies were. Their physical posture was very proud, very reverent. But Jesus stood right in front of them and they missed him. They missed the reverence that Jesus was living out right in front of them. I mean, they actually missed the character of God. The Pharisees were practicing this idea of reverence that was not complete and actually their physical posture was so self-focused and inward that they missed the treasure, the world, the greatest treasure the world has ever seen right in front of them. They missed Jesus, God in the flesh, the Pharisees missed. So if we start to look at God's idea of reverence, it's like Old Testament reverence, good. New Testament reverence, good. But the whole thing together, awesome. Awesome. But see, let's look at what happened at the end of Jesus' life, though, because every scripture that I just read to you 
from the New Testament was actually, they were written after Jesus had already died. They were written by the people who lived with Jesus. Actions speak louder than words. And so they're telling us what reverence is now based on what they saw Jesus live out on a daily basis for his time on earth. So let's see what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Hebrews 9 is awesome. I don't have time to get into it with you guys, but if you're interested in this, please read Hebrews 9 in its entirety. But it tells us that back before Jesus' day and during his time on earth, there was a temple that was built. And the temple was separated in this area. There was, there was an area within the temple called the Holy of Holies, and that was the earthly dwelling place of God's spirit. Intense, right? And it was separated from the rest of the temple where the rest of the people were allowed to go by a veil, a curtain. And that separated the regular area of the temple from the area of the temple, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. And only the highest priest was allowed to go into that Holy of Holies. And he only did it once a year. And he did it to, to bring a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. Yet, we see in Matthew 27, when Jesus gave up his last breath, and when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from two, torn in two from top to bottom. You see, when that temple veil was torn, it dramatically symbolized that his sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, the shedding of his own blood, that was a sufficient atonement for all of our, all of our sins for all time. That the way of the Holy of Holies was not just now reserved for the highest priest, but that it was open to all of us. That that sacrifice that he made, that was good for forever, for all of us. And Paul was trying to explain this to the people of Athens after Jesus' death. And it tells us in Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. So you see, as long as that temple stood, it was like the continuation of the old covenant of, of how life was lived prior to Jesus' sacrifice. But under, under the new covenant, under the new reality of what Jesus' sacrifice meant for us, that now, now we can all enter the Holy of Holies through Jesus' sacrifice, that he washes us clean through his death and perfect sacrifice on the cross, we, those who believe in him have free access to God. Jesus removed the barriers between God and man so that any of us can approach him with confidence and boldness. So you see, for centuries, that holy of holies was reserved to where only the clean and the polished could enter. But fast forward when Jesus dies on the cross, that veil was torn because it was no longer necessary. And Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to wash us all clean. You remember that whole thing, like we are now God's temple? It talks about that in 1 Corinthians. See, from that moment on, when that veil came down, the whole scope of reverence changed. Reverence is no longer confined to formalities, titles, rituals. It's not, going, it's not about going to the temple. It's about submitting to one another. You see, the Pharisees actually had this hands-off form of reverence, but Jesus, when he tore down the veil, he showed us how to live out a hands-on type of reverence in every moment of every day. And so you know how he said that reverence is kneeling before God? 
because of what Jesus did, reverence is now also kneeling to serve one another. So reverence can actually also be experienced when I'm serving my husband. Yes. So reverence can also be experienced when I'm loving on my kids. Yes. See, we are in the constant presence of God. We can and should be aware of this, obedient towards him and have this posture of worship in our lives. We need to be aware of the reality that as Christ followers, we are no longer separated from God. He is not behind a holy of holies. He is in us. Reverence makes every moment holy. Remember when I asked if you feel like you're missing out? Why do we ache for these holy moments in our lives? Because God wants us to engage with him. So does that mean now that when I'm folding like the eight bucket of laundry, that I can actually have a holy moment with God? Yes! Does that mean when I'm scrolling through my phone to just kind of detox at the end of the day that if I actually put that down with my eyes focused on God and choose instead to love my kids, is that, can that be a holy moment? Yes. Yes. Our new reality is that we can live in reverence of every moment. We don't have to ho-hum around. God has put treasure all around us. That is who he is. That is what he does. He is face to face with us right now and we don't have to miss him anymore. Awe and respect is now mixed with surface and humility. And when that veil was torn, the prim and proper mixed with the messy and now we have the opportunity to engage with the living God anytime, any place. When I was first just trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to speak on? He'd already told me he wanted me to speak on reverence. But then the very next thing he told me was humble yourself before man. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I, I mean, I can do that. I can try to present before the congregation humbly. But he was like, no, 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 no. That's great and all, but humble yourself before man. And I was like, I am so confused. What does that have to do with reverence? because I only had this idea of reverence and he revealed that reverence is also this. He is showing us this full picture, this 360 degree opportunity of reverence, this awe-inspiring, fall to your knees, jaw-dropping reverence that also includes humbling yourself before God and man. And how we view and treat one another is directly associated to our reverence of God the Father. And my idea of reverence has completely shifted. So are you living a life of reverence? Like how often are you refusing your own will and focusing on the presence of God? I mean, how often do you actually look up? Because that changes everything. I mean, my encouragement to you is that if you're anything like me, you've spent a large majority of your life like this. Not intentionally, but this is distracting. Aches and pains are distracting. 
My encouragement to you is that if you look up, it's just like riding a bike. Where your eyes follow, the rest follows too, and you will trailblaze a new path following Jesus that maybe you haven't experienced before. When we have a reverent posture to God, any moment can be holy. Do you feel like you're missing out on life? Do you feel like you've got FOMO? Don't miss this treasure because he is right in front of you. He's shown us how to live this out. Every time that we serve another person, we're revering God. It's the difference of head shuffled down around the museum to looking up and going, oh, wow, there you are. And guess what? He's been there the whole time and he is here right now.